Um, I pray for your church every Sunday morning. You may not realize that or know that or whatever, but every Sunday morning I enjoy praying for Strong Tower and for Ben and for Nikki and a lot of other people I, I know here. And so it's a privilege to be here uh, to talk about Psalm 86. When Ben said, hey, we're doing the Psalms, I said, can I pick what I want to do? He said, sure. I said, great. I love Psalm 86. I'm on. So let's consider it together today. I don't know about you, but have you ever, uh, like David in Psalm 6, made a plea for grace? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've come to the Lord, not unlike David, and you said, I feel poor and needy? I have no resources to meet the adversity that I feel. In fact, he says, I've been sad all day long. All day long. I have cried out to you. He says that um, I feel weak. Um, I feel like there's people out to get me. And I really am losing a little bit of hope. Lord, would you show me a sign of your favor? Did you hear that in the very last verse? David is fighting for faith. But here's what I want to ask you. Do any of those describe the posture of your heart even this morning? Do some of you feel poor and needy as you think about the adversity or the hardship or the difficulty or maybe just some confusing circumstances that are going on and you too feel poor and needy? Or maybe your heart feels sad like David's in verse 4 that there's a lot of adversity or difficulty or relational problems that are going on around you and your heart just kind of is just groaning a little bit this morning like, ugh. I would say, if that is the posture of your heart today, cheer up. You're in good company. You have a man after God's own heart who is doing something really remarkable here. He is fighting for faith in the middle of adversity. So here's, here's what I'd say. I find this to be true in my life. You may not find this to be true in your life. But in times when I feel like there's adversity or confusion or darkness or difficulty or suffering uh, that's going on in my life, sometimes I find it difficult to articulate to myself or even to my God, how I feel, or what my needs really are. Like, my, my words kind of escape me. Like, I don't even know sometimes what I should be praying. So this is what I would say. Isn't God kind? We call him Father, but isn't he kind that he would write a psalm like 86 for you, that when you're in the midst of that time, this listen, it speaks for you. You don't know the words to say, so David has penned them for you because your Father, knowing that those who would sign up with Jesus would sign up for some difficulty, would sign up for some adversity, would sign up for some dark days. And so he is kind enough to know that your heart, too, would be filled with a little bit of doubt, would be filled with, I don't know if I can make this or do this or not, that your life would be fraught with, who is my God in the middle of this adversity? So God, in his kindness, speaks for you through the Psalms, but he also validates you to say you're not weird or strange. He validates to say that all who follow Jesus will have days that it's costly, that it creates sacrifice, that it creates difficulty, that it creates hardship. And so your father is fathering you better than you thought he was fathering you by writing a psalm like 86 to both speak for you and to validate you. Isn't he great? But here's my question for you. In fact, I would like it to be a ruling question over your mind as I go through the rest of this sermon, that when you're in that place, and some of you are there today, some of you might not be in that place today, but when you get to that place of adversity or hardship or suffering, where do you turn? Literally, like, what do you do? Like, uh, where do you go? Who do you talk to? Because I think that Psalm 86 is skilling us a bit. 
for something that we're all going to face, either we're facing it now or we will face it in the future, of what we do when that day comes. And so I I just want to open up Psalm 86. It's my favorite psalm. And I want to open it up to you as a fellow struggler, as a fellow sufferer who's had to learn at my dark days, my days of suffering, how to fight for faith. Because what you see of David here is a gritty man who's holding intention. This is who I know my God to be, but my life is really hard right now. And he's trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense, right, all the time. But he's fighting for faith. Do you fight well for faith? Just watch David fight. So... One question, what does he know to be true of God? So one of the things that happens to me in my suffering, this may not happen to you, so if it doesn't, that's fine, but I think we might have this in common. In my times of difficulty or adversity, one of the things that happens to me is that I lose a proper view of who God really is. Sometimes in my points of adversity, my circumstances or my difficulties or my relational people that are driving me nuts begin to scream at me and begin to say, this is who your God must be. They yell at me. They dictate who he must be to me. And I, I'm not saying you, I start thinking some of the worst things about him. I start thinking, you know, he doesn't care. He doesn't see me. My prayers are maybe maybe making it to the ceiling. Maybe they're not making it to the ceiling. And I sit there and I start thinking about things that are what? That are just not true about him. But that's the fight of faith. Well, they don't call it the, the fight of sitting by the pool with a drink in your hand. They call it the fight of faith. It's hard to fight. So in those times, I lose my way sometimes, and I lose the truth of who God is. So the first thing that I would like for you to see today is that in your times of adversity, here's the principle, you can lose a proper perspective of who your God really is. So you'll notice David in this psalm is doing an amazing job. Of recall, he's almost like taking his heart and saying, Hey, now you listen. This is who your God is. What does he say in verse 2? He says that you are my God. He does not say that you are a God, you are the God, which he is the God, right? But he's making a relational statement of saying, You're my God. I mean, this is the same guy who wrote Psalm 23 that says, You are my shepherd. So underneath the adversity, he is beginning to say, There's a story. He is my God. I am his son. And he's my dad. You roll into verse 5, and he says that you are good. You are forgiven. You are steadfast in your love. One of the things that I drop the most in my times of adversity is that he's good and that he's trustworthy. Right? I begin to think that why, why is this coming onto my dial? And I start begin losing trust that he is leading me to the good life. I say that you're leading me to the less than life. As I start doubting that he's good, that he's forgiving, that he's in steadfast love. And then verse 7, what does he say? You hear my prayers and you answer me. How many of you doubt that in your times of adversity? Is he listening to me? He's not doing what I'm asking him to do, so therefore he must not be listening to me, right? I mean, that's, I'm just speaking for myself. Y'all might not be in there. You can pull in at any time where you can relate. So David is fighting and saying, He answers my prayers. He hears me. And then you get to verse 8, and he says something that a lot of the prophets pick up on and really love saying, that there's no God like you. There's no God that is like you, that has wondrous works like you. He roll into verse 9, and he begins to say that you are the great creator God with which every nation will come, and they will worship at your feet. What is he saying? 
You've made everything. You're more powerful than everything. You, you, have, you have knitted everything together, right? You know what he says about himself uh, to his father? You have knitted me in my mother's womb. You are my creator. You're the creator of everything that I see, everything that I'm viewing, even the adversity. You're the creator guy that's a lot more powerful. Then you come into verse 10, and he says that you alone are God. There are people worshiping all kinds of things out there, but this is what I know to be true. of my, You are the only one that is worth my worship, and you do wonderful works. Not just works, but wonderful works. Then you get to verse 13, and he says that you are bountiful is really what the word means in steadfast love. Now, this is the second time that he's mentioned steadfast love. He's about to mention it again in verse 15. Steadfast love is this Hebrew term of his covenant love, his hesed love for you and me. This is God's love for you that does not have an exit strategy. This is God's love for you that pushes through every reason not to love you and loves you anyway kind of love. A faithful love, a promised love, a love that cannot diminish based upon you because his love is based upon him. And he's saying, I, I see that underneath even my adversity, I'm scared to death. I've been crying all day. My heart is sad. i got people running after me. But this is what I know to be true. My God loves me. Then you come into verse 15, and I don't know if you're given a scripture memory. But verse 15 is an amazing list of who your God is. If you're going to grab onto anything today about who He is and what the Bible says who He is in the middle of your adversity, write down verse 15. But He says, You, O Lord, are merciful and gracious. You're slow to anger, and you're abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Those five things added together, you begin to marvel, you begin to look and go, wow, you're better than I thought you were. I mean, Jonah picks up on this same list in chapter 2 in the middle of his adversity. He says, this is who I know you to be. Now, he's upset because he's about to go forgive all those Ninevites. But this is what he says. I know you to be merciful and gracious. I know you to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's your character. Do you know that about him? And then verse 17 says, you're a great helper and a great comforter. What is David doing? All of those things that I just kind of just picked out of those passages in here. What is David doing? He's taking his heart in hand at a very difficult time in his life. And he's saying, listen, it's slippery, this fight of faith. Adversity will make you believe some of the nastiest things about your father. Let's rehearse the truth. What he's doing is fighting for hope. His hope, hope is, is only as strong as the object to which it's affixed, to, it is fixed on to. And so David is trying to say, I don't want to put my hope in myself to overcome my adversity. I'm fighting to put my hope in him. And so he begins to call out to his heart. This is who your hope is in. And he describes him beautifully, doesn't he? He uses words when sometimes you don't know the words to say. So what David is doing is recognizing, I don't know how you're in here today. There's a lot of stories in here. There's a lot of relationships in here. There's a lot of workplaces in here. There's a lot of neighborhoods in here. There's a lot of projects in here going on. There's a lot of marriages in here. There's a lot of parenting going on in here. So therefore, there's difficulty in here. I don't know all the stories in here, but I know what's underneath every story. It's the story of Psalm 23. There's a good shepherd 
somehow or another, whatever valley you're in. He's a good shepherd, and he's leading and guiding you. And somehow or another, mercy and goodness are chasing after you right now. And so what David is calling to mind is the truth of who his God is to get a little bit of grit, to get a little bit of endurance, to get a little bit of, dare I say, hope in the middle of what seems hopeless. Christians, this is why we're different than everybody else. It's because even in the middle of our hardship and even in the middle of our trouble, we worship one who cares. What does 1 Peter 5 say? Cast your anxieties upon me. Because why? Because I care for you. Only Christians have a God who wants to have a personal relationship with you like a father to a daughter. To lead you and guide you and provide for you and protect you. And David's just calling it all out. It's like the New Testament a little bit. I, think of, I thought of Hebrews chapter 12, right? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not, what? Lose heart or grow weary. It's the same principle in the New Testament. He is holding his heart in hand and saying, this is truth. How do you do it that? I was reading a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones on spiritual depression. I picked it up going through one of these gloomy times. It sounds like it's so dark, but it's really not. It's a good book. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in um, Spiritual Depression. It's, that's, what a terrible title. We should rename it. But who am I? He's passed on. I can't say anything. That's all right. This is what he says. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God who is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Isn't that a great quote? I told you it wasn't depressing. But what Martin Lloyd-Jones is doing and what David is doing is teaching us how to fight for faith. So here, I'm just going to ask you three questions and we'll move on to the second point. One is this. How good are you at taking your heart in hand? Have you ever done that? Have you ever, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm, it's a metaphor. We're just kind of talking here or whatever. But how well are you at exhorting yourself, holding your heart in hand and saying, this is who my Lord is, and fighting for faith in that? So that would be one question I would ask you. How good are you at taking your heart in hand? Secondly, and this may be more exposing, what case would you make? Right. This is why Psalm 86 is so great. It's because when I'm in that time, I, I, it's like thoughts leave my head. Right? And I start believing bad stuff, and so I have to go to places like Psalm 86 to make cases for me. That's how weak I am. Or should I say it this way? That's how weak-minded I am. How about you? How good of a case could you make? So at some level, you've got to prepare this day for that day. It's not if that day is coming. It is when that day is coming. Not that we should live with fear and anxieties. Because we know the one who's providentially ordered all of those days. So what would it be like to prepare on this day, let's just call it like an arsenal of truth that you could carry around with you in your head, right? It's almost like you would hide his word in your heart or something crazy. That's a crazy idea, 
right? So that when that day comes, you can fight along. Or maybe just carry your Bible with you. It's on your phone. Maybe Psalm 86 could become a balm for your soul. Second thing. Third question I would have. Do you have any friends? Because I don't know about you. I, I call my friends, and I have a lot of them to get the crazy check. That's what I say. I say, I'm calling for the crazy check. And I just unload on what's really happening in the sadness of my soul. And I have to ask them, ask me this question. Who do you know God to be? So I'm calling to get the crazy check. I'm calling to unload the real hardship that's going on in my life. And I've got some friends that know that's the question that helps me. Who do you know your God to be? My father did that for me. I miss him. He just passed about a year ago. But when I was going through college, we got three people about to go to college, one to Sanford, go dogs. That was my school. And I would call my dad because what you do, right? When you're in an university, it could be women problems. It could be grade problems, which I didn't like talking about that because he's paying for the thing, right? Or whatever those things were. And I'd call him. I'd say, hey, Pop, hey, this is what's going on. And my dad, this is what he would say. Son, where is he? Just like any other teenager would be, I'd be like, Dad, do we have to do this again? Son, where is he? I said, all right, Dad, he's on his throne. Good. Sounded like you forgot. Now, I give you that illustration. It warms my heart to talk about my dad. My father was not giving me a geography lesson. It's not that I had forgotten that God was in, Jesus was in heaven sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from there to come to judge the living and the dead, which we will quote in the Apostles' Creed. I had not forgotten that with my head. He was giving me a theology question. He was saying, son, whatever you're going through, he's in charge, and he's your shepherd. What was he doing? He was preaching to my heart what David is doing in Psalm 86. Do you have any friends that can do that for you? Dads, moms, do you help your kids with that? In their time when they don't want to listen, just know they're on the other side of the phone going, oh, right? We're all there. So, how well are you holding your heart in your hand? Two, what kind of case would you make? Maybe you should prepare this day for that day. And then thirdly, you got any friends that can help you take your heart in hand when you don't want to take your heart in hand, right? So, when fighting, like David, in this lament, that's what this psalm is called, is a lament, he is not only fighting to know who his God is, but he's also holding in tension the reality of the struggle. David's not trying to just put on rose-colored glasses, right, like every day with Jesus is better than the day before kind of thing, because life is hard, and so he's holding in tension the truth of who God is, but right now it's hard. And so there's an honesty that comes with this prayer. And I would say this, if you're going to fight well, you're going to have to figure out how to be honest with him. Now, he already knows who you are, and he already knows the providential road that you're on. But we're talking about building a relationship here of honesty. So that's why I like verse 4 so much. It really is what introduced me to Psalm 86 was verse 4, because when I get sad and despairing, it's confusing to me. And I'm a pastor, right? We're supposed to be happy all the time, joyful, nothing's wrong, everything's okay, right? Because our faith is so strong, that is wrong, we are fighting just as hard as you are, right? Arrows are coming at me just like they're coming at you, right? And so when this sadness or adversity comes, my heart gets confused of why hope and joy are not ruling it. But when I read that verse, I begin to get a little bit of freedom. Because this is what David is doing. He said, what does he say? Gladden the soul of your servant. To you, O Lord, I hold my soul. 
Why would he say gladden? You know what the word means, gladden? It means to brighten. It means to make joyful. It means to make happy. Why is he asking God to gladden his soul? He said it. I've been crying all day. My soul is sad. So what he's doing is bringing an honesty about himself. And he's saying, Lord, I'm sad. I I need to be honest with what's really going on. I feel poor and needy. I'm sitting here with tears. I'm a little bit confused. I'm losing a little bit of hope. I got people running after me. I need a sign of your favor because I'm beginning to doubt if I'm favored. Oh, God, would you come? Gladden the soul of your servant. To you, O oh Lord, I raise my soul. So there's a, there's a reality, there's a truth, there's an honesty, but there's also in lament, there's a helplessness. This is, this is so freeing to me. I can't even do something as elemental as happying my soul without God. It, particularly in adversity, I can't just happy up out of it. And so I want to free you up. You don't have to fake it till you make it. You can be honest with your father and say, I'm really sad right now. I'm needing some help. The joy is fleeting. I'm not sleeping well. Right? I can't even pray well to you. Oh, God, would you gladden the soul of your servant? I hold it up to you. David is being honest, but he's being realistic. I am that helpless. Do you realize you're that helpless? You're not, you're not going to pray like that until you get to a helplessness that says, i got to have God or i got nothing going for me. Right, And so when he's, far be it from me, but he's intentionally pulling us into those places to pull us into that dependence often, that we begin to cry out and begin to understand just how dependent we are. So what I love about this prayer is he's honest and he's hopeful in God to gladden it. Now the contrary is true. Here, here, here's a little point of application. So in your time of adversity, in your time of difficulty, in your time of confusion and darkness, if we're not lifting our souls to Him and saying, glad in the soul of your servant, too often, if you're like me, I begin to run around to other things and say, hey, would you gladden my soul? Hey, would you gladden my soul? And it can be vice, it can be alcohol, it can be food, it can be porn, it can be pleasure, it can be comfort, it can be whatever. To what? To dull the pain for just a little bit. I just need a little bit of release and I'll be okay. And so I hold my heart in hand and I go and I say, Hey, can you gladden my heart? And I run to all kinds of things. Some are bad and some aren't bad in and of themselves. But I'm trying to put weight on something that can only be held by the Father. Do you do that? I do that all the time. Why? It's easier. I don't have to humble myself before the Father of how helpless and dependent that I really am. So I can run to work I can run to the Atlanta Braves who've won four in a row. I can run to all kinds of things and say, will you gladden my soul just to dull the pain a little bit, just a little bit of release? Because I know Monday i got to go back out there and get punched right in the nose. Right? Let me just say this. They can't bear the weight. They're not, some of them are bad things to run to. Some are things that are not bad in of themselves, but they can't carry the weight. They're also not going to help you endure. You're not going to be able to love anybody. You're not going to be able to serve anybody. You're not going to be able to do your work with excellence. You're not going to get out of the fog. Let's call it a fog, a funk, a fog, a sense of sadness. 
You, you don't operate well, right? I, this is what the Bible is promising you, that you don't hear about any of the circumstances changing in the psalm, by the way. We don't know when they are relieved. But this is what we do know, that he's giving him strength to endure even in the adversity. I need that. Do you need that? So are you, if you don't connect your sadness and difficulty with God, it gets dangerous. You start believing that other things can supply, that only things that he can. Sometimes we call these idols, right? They can't carry the weight. You're just going to dull the pain. But there's not going to be any reconciliation or real peace or real joy, right? Because this gladdening is not a happy ha-ha. It's an enduring joy. It says, life may be hard, but my father has me, and he's good and he's trustworthy. You see? So if you're going to fight well, we've got to learn how to lament connecting our pain with our Father who has providentially ordered our path. And so some of you are sitting there going, I don't like making those kinds of prayers. Actually, some of the prayers that he's made, I'd be kind of scared to make those prayers. I might get struck by lightning. And thinking about getting struck by lightning is very terrifying. So I'm, not, I'm scared because it feels like complaining sometimes. When I come to the Lord and, I, and this honesty you're talking about, right, this freedom and all that stuff, it sounds like complaining to me. This is what I would say. There's a big difference between complaint and lament. Now, see if you follow here. Sometimes the words are exactly the same that you say to the Father, but the posture of your heart in a complaint is very different than the posture of your heart in a lament. Let me describe it. The words are the same. So some of your prayers, right, this is where some of mine start, is with a question. What are you doing? So in the heart of a complaint, this is what it sounds like. It's like, what are you doing? Right, we become argumentative. We become demanding. We, we, we're coming out of a cauldron of self-pity of my life's not going the way I want it written, so what are you doing? And I don't, I'm not trusting the way you're going. You're leading me to the less than life. Right, that's a complaint. A lament is very different. You're going to God with the very same question, what are you doing? But there's a humble curiosity to it. There's a humility that begins to understand, I know who my God is, he is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I might be going through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's leading, he's guiding me, and mysteriously enough, goodness and mercy are chasing after me right now. And so with that foundational understanding of who your God is, you're going with the same question. What are you doing? What are you up to? It's confusing right now. It feels really dark. Um, I, I'm, I'm out of energy. Um, I'm really sad. I'm crying a lot. I'm not functioning well. I'm not really sure, but I want to trust, and I'm struggling trusting. What, what, are, what, are, what are you doing? That's a lament. Do you see the difference? Have you felt the difference? Because there is. And you know, you, there, there's a line in there. I have another quote from uh, Mark Vrogop from a, a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It sounds like I'm this deep, depressing guy. I'm really not. I'm very hopeful, but when I get here, I get confused. So I have to read books that help me go, this is why you're confused. So anyway, so he has this whole thing about lament um, in dark clouds, deep mercy. And this is what he says. Lament is different than crying and complaining because lament is a form of prayer. It is more than just an expression of sorrow or venting of emotion. Lament is talking to God about our pain and suffering. And listen to this. It has a unique purpose, trust. It is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears and frustrations and sorrows for the purpose of helping us to renew our confidence in God. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. 
Don't you love that? To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. Belief in God's mercy, redemption, and sovereignty create lament. Without hope in God's deliverance and the conviction that He is all-powerful, there would be no reason to lament when pain invaded our lives. To learn how to lament, we must resolve to talk to God, to keep praying. Lament begins with an invitation to turn to God while in our pain. When you heard that, did something inside of you going, I need to know how to do that. Something inside of you said, I want to do that. I need some freedom. Right? Yes. And that is why 33%, there's 150 psalms, 33% of the psalms are laments. Isn't that fascinating? 33%, why? Life's hard. We call it a fight of faith. And so your kind father is saying, hey, you want to fight well, I wrote some prayers for you. To not to complain, but to give you words to lament in your suffering and difficulty. Isn't he great? In our text, I think you see a wonderful, wonderful lament through all the verses, but verse 11 in particular. What does he say? Teach me your ways that I could walk in them. What are you doing? No, it's what are you doing? Teach me your ways so I can walk in. You're up to something here. You've got my attention. Teach me your ways. There's a humility, but there's a curiosity. And then he says, unite my heart that I may fear you. He's saying my heart is scrambled right now. It's reaching out, gladden my soul. To all kinds of things. I need you to unite my heart to trust in you alone, to fear you, to revere you, to have respect for you and you alone in my heart. Now that's lamenting. It's a curious, it's humble, but it's helpless. But it's real. It's honest. But it is, you can't, he's connecting with God. So here's what I would say. All of us are praying in our time of adversity. Some of you just happen to be praying to yourself. And some, Christian lament, we're praying to God. I just say you got no shot at endurance. You got no shot at grit. You got no shot at hope. You got no shot at faith unless we do this life with him. Somebody need some of that? I need some of that.